Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Jefferson Lilly. Thanks for being on the show, Jefferson. Hey, Whitney. Thank you for having me. Jefferson is one of the America's top 50 mobile home park operators and owners. 25 mobile home parks in 13 states. Wow. Featured in Bloomberg Magazine, the New York Times, and Real Money TV show. Started the world's first mobile home park investing podcast that now has more than 15,000 downloads per month. Congratulations. And founded the world's largest mobile home park investing group on LinkedIn with more than 4,500 members. Well, we could have a whole show just on that. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the show, Jefferson. I'm looking forward to our conversation. And obviously, tell the listeners a little more about who you are in case they haven't heard of you, and then let's dive in. Sure. So I got into this business about a dozen years ago. I own mobile home parks. I started off just looking for some stable passive income. I had uh, prior to that worked in the dot-com business and went through the dot-com boom, bust, and semi-resurgence again, was just looking for some passive investments and kind of stumbled upon mobile home parks. But I've been doing this now a dozen years and now syndicate, raise money from other folks. Cumulatively, I think over about 170 other investors so far have invested with me. And during that time, I've gotten married to a lovely woman and have three kids age five and under. (laughs) So I'm busy. Congratulations (laughs) again. Yeah, it's awesome. So you were looking for a stable passive investment and that's what led you I guess, to real estate. How did you decide on uh, mobile home parks? Why not multifamily, self-storage, even house flipping? You know, why mobile home parks? So initially, I did think that I would buy an apartment building. And I was just on, I think, LoopNet and would do a filter for multifamily properties. I live out in San Francisco. I knew I was not going to find affordable property in San Francisco. You're the Uh, first person I've heard say that. (laughs) So I was already looking in Lubbock, Texas and Peoria, Illinois and the greater Midwest. And wherever I'd look, there'd be 99 apartment buildings at an eight cap. Again, this was pricing now from 12 years ago or more, but then there'd be one mobile home park at like a 10 or 11 cap rate. For your listeners that don't know, they can just think of that as basically the return that you would get on your money unlevered. If you just paid cash, you'd get eight or 11% on your money. And of course, the first time I saw that, I thought, well, that's absurd. I'm not buying a friggin' trailer park. You know, and I delete the search result and again, do it again in Lincoln, Nebraska or Omaha. And I probably had to get hit over the head, Whitney, five or 10 times. But it finally clicked. I thought, well, mobile home parks are multifamily. And if they're really yielding that much more money, why don't I look into it? So I, I did that and it clicked pretty quickly. And we'll get into that here on the show, I'm sure. But it pretty quickly, why it's such a compelling niche. So I just began to focus on it. I think it's the best thing going, better than self-storage. So were you looking to invest passively with another operator at that time or were you were jumping in saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be an operator? I was jumping in. Yeah, I knew it wasn't going to be 100% pass. But yeah, basically I was looking to own a property directly, which is what I ended up doing. It just didn't turn out to be an apartment building like I thought it would. It turned out a year and a half later to be a mobile home park. Okay, okay. So- I guess as far as mobile home parks specifically, how are you picking locations for something like a mobile home park? And obviously everybody says, quote, market, end quote, the way the market is. How are you picking locations for mobile home parks and why? 
So we tend to invest for cash flow, which means we are generally purchasing properties in the greater Midwest. It's highly unlikely we would ever pay up to have something that's coastal California or coastal Florida. Anyway, so we look for cash flow. So that leads us primarily to the Midwest. We then do have a couple pages of diligence that we do on parks before we buy them. But just to do a real quick and dirty screen on them, we're basically looking for healthy and at least decent-sized economies to invest in. So for us, the healthy part means that the average household income is 40000 and up, and we want to see the average house price at 100000 and up. So that, by definition, weeds out places like Detroit, Michigan, Toledo, Ohio, Youngstown, Ohio, some of the places that have unfortunately really fallen on hard times have average household incomes of 32000 and average house prices of 65000 And we just can't compete with that. Anyway, so again, we look for those kind of economic indicators that it's a healthy metro. And then in general, we're investing in metros that are 100,000 people or larger. And pretty much if you've got all that going for you, again, we do have two pages worth of diligence to get through before we close. But as an initial screen, if you've got those three things going for you, then it's almost certainly a deal that's worth pursuing. How many markets are you looking in at the same time? Oh, we get emails every single day from brokers. We do some of our own prospecting outbound. We cold call mobile home park owners. So I don't know, maybe at any given time, we're certainly kind of considering, I don't know, eight or 10 deals. And most of those will just pass on by the end of the day or the end of tomorrow. But there's always something new coming in tomorrow or the next day. So you certainly don't have to do every deal. You just have to do a relatively limited number of good deals. Yeah. So can you walk us, I guess, through that process a little bit of how you would be eliminating deals and mobile home parks is not something, it's not my specialty, that's for sure. And so how are you eliminating eight or 10 deals that fast? What are some things that we should be looking for when a broker is going to send me a mobile home park and I'm thinking, okay, what's Jefferson's number? (laughs) What do I need to be looking for? So in addition to what I've mentioned, then we're also obviously looking at price. So we will see some of these deals from brokers and the broker will manage our expectations that no, the price really has to be that high. The seller wants a five cap on something. So it could be price that we just pass on. A number of those deals will be in weaker economies. We pass for that reason. We'll also pass on deals unless there's something compelling about them. For instance, a lower price. We'll pass on deals that have a very high number of what we call park-owned homes. Those are pretty much what they sound like. They're homes that you as the landlord own. We prefer to really run this business as a parking lot business. We like to help our residents own their own homes. We like to buy parks where the residents already own their own homes and just pay us the lot rent into the ground. So we call parks with a very high number of park-owned homes, we call those horizontal apartment buildings. And the implication there where you as the park owner own a lot of the homes is first that all that repair and maintenance will fall on you. All those proverbial leaky toilets and leaky roofs will be your responsibility just the same way as it would be if you owned an actual apartment building. So we'd rather have lower repair and maintenance. But secondly, honestly, rental mobile homes, rental homes now, not ones that residents own, but rental mobile homes tend to attract a very rough client base. So you'll almost certainly be starting off with folks that will unfortunately disrespect the houses, do a lot of damage to them. 
So it's much more important to buy a park where the residents already own most of those homes and then we'll bring in additional homes, infill any vacancies. That's okay. We won't rent them though. We'll put them out on a rent to own agreement or we work with a partner that's a city area of Berkshire Hathaway. Warren Buffett's large company, they actually will finance the houses and put a proper mortgage against them. Anyway, so we build communities of owners and we help people become homeowners and frankly get out of apartment buildings and again, become homeowners. But it can be tough to start with a park that is a horizontal apartment building. Anyway, so again, if, unless the price is particularly compelling, just owning a lot of the mobile homes would be a reason that we might pass, as well as the other things I've mentioned. Yeah, no, that's a great explanation there. And the rental mobile home, I mean, I can only imagine. So what kind of team do you have, you know, to be able to scale like you have, I'd be operating this many mobile home parks? Yeah, so I run a couple of partnerships. So what I've built so far, I'm building up with my new Park Avenue Partners partnership, but what we've built prior has been a headquarters of four full-time folks. That's one asset manager and three people doing accounting. That's a controller, an accounts payables person, and an accounts receivables person. And then we have a couple of regional managers that also oversee some of those community managers. The regional managers are full-time. The community managers, most of them are not. We do have a couple that are full-time at some of our larger properties. So anyway, I guess long-winded way of saying we've got four folks full-time at headquarters and almost two dozen other folks out in the field closer to the properties operating them. People on the team that are constantly looking for deals, constantly calling, constantly doing some type of mail marketing or anything like that? We do. And we're looking to add to that team. But yeah, we've got somebody right now just doing cold calling pretty much full time. We will start doing some postcard mailers probably next month, some follow-ups with folks that we're calling. And then again, we may well add on an additional person to help us do that. And what's been the biggest lead source or our quality lead source, I should say, like uh, mailers or cold calling in addition to mailers or actual brokers? Yeah, I'd say it's probably been more our own cold calling. And we know other folks that are what we call bird doggers. Mm -hmm. So they're not really official brokers, but they make their own cold calls and they may come to us with a property off market and say, hey, pay me 25 grand, 50 grand, sometimes 100 grand if it's a very well-priced and larger deal. Anyway, so those folks that are doing their own cold calling and are referring deals to us are also a good source in addition to our own cold calling. As you can imagine, a lot of stuff that comes from brokers certainly may be good quality. It's just not likely to be well-priced. So we prefer to, to try and find deals directly ourselves, establish a conversation with the seller directly, make it clear that we are not brokers. We are not going to alarm their tenants. We're not going to shop a deal widely. We have cash and can close all cash quickly. We're closing by the end of the month on about a seven and a quarter million dollar portfolio. That'll be all cash, quick close. So that sort of thing appeals to some sellers anyway. Nice. So you're able to do the cash because you have a fund. Yes. Yes. So I've already, I've got the cash sitting in the bank. Okay. (laughs) So been there for months. So now I have something to do with it. (laughs) That's great. And so, you know, why a fund instead of doing individual syndications? So the first is that with cash in the bank, I can close quickly. Frankly, doing diligence on a deal can be, well, not quite a full-time job, but let's just say it certainly can take a fair amount of time. If you're under the gun and trying to close on a deal inside of, say, 30 days, 
it's just a lot. It's not impossible. It depends on your contacts, but it's a lot to both be doing diligence on the property, trying to coordinate all the legal stuff. And you still want to do a phase one, probably want to get a survey done. It's just a lot to do that. Plus then have to be making phone calls, traveling, doing dinners, whatever it takes to raise money. So when I launched the Park Avenue Fund earlier this year, I spent the whole first quarter not looking at deals. I spent three months just traveling the country, doing dinners, hosting webinars, getting people's questions answered. And only then in Q2 did I turn my attention really to looking for a deal to buy. And again, I'm working on this multiple park portfolio that I anticipate will close in about another two weeks by the end of the month. But I know there's superheroes out there that can do five different jobs at once. <laughs> I'm probably not one of those. I like to just kind of focus on one thing at a time. So we're in acquisition mode now. I was going to ask you, or like the traveling all over the country to promote your fund. Yeah. And what does that look like? I've never had a fund where I'm just open all the time to no. investors. So, I mean, it's nice that you were able to devote all that time to just traveling and answering all those yeah. questions, meeting or having the dinners with investors. How did you yeah. determine that was going to be the best use of your time and organize that to be the most beneficial to raise the most capital for your fund? Yeah. So concurrent to running my podcast, the Mobile Home Park Investors podcast, I've also been capturing names on our mailing list. So I've got right around 4,000 people on my mailing list. So I did mail out to them and frankly raised, I think it was almost 2 million bucks just from that in the month of January. It was a very strong start. But I did find that it would be helpful to get on the road and go meet with folks. Typical profile for an investor of mine is an accredited investor. They're investing on average right around 150,000. Minimum investment is 50. And we've had some folks write seven-figure checks, which is great, but the average is about 150. But a lot of these folks want to meet somebody face-to-face, -face, and I appreciate that. So I did dinners in New York, where we had over 30 folks, at dinner in LA, where we had a little over 20. Chicago was pretty strong as well. Hit some smaller markets. I did Miami, and it was single digits. I may not go back to Miami. <laughs> I don't know why mobile home park investing isn't more popular there, or maybe I just missed something. I don't know. So, but but so I kind of know what, what the good markets are to get a good turnout at dinner, actually get some checks out of the dinner. So it's something you're promoting through your list, like, hey, I'm coming to Miami. Exactly. Okay. So you're promoting it to your list, yeah. probably on your podcast or I don't know. Well, I put it on my website, okay. uh, just parkavenuepartners.com slash invest. And people can see the schedule there. And I promoted it out to the mailing list as well. So that was how we did it. Awesome. Okay. So then, I mean, people are, I guess, letting you know they're planning to be there and then you're going to host a dinner. So yeah, I wasn't sure earlier if you were having many individual meetings and dinners with all these people, you know, oh. and how you are making that time efficient as possible. That's a great idea. Yeah, I'll let your listeners in on a little secret I found, a service, a website called sixplus.com. It's like six people or more, sixplus.com. They specialize in arranging these sorts of corporate dinners or frankly, whatever larger corporate event you would want. It doesn't have to be a dinner for uh, 15 or 20. But anyway, what you can do is just email them and say, hey, I'm going to be in Denver you know, next month on the 15th. I think I'll have about a dozen folks get me a room, a private room. I prefer steakhouses or seafood places, but whatever you're looking for. They then do the legwork of getting the dinner and the contract set up for you. They're basically a virtual assistant that specializes in arranging these sorts of events. 
anyway, there you go. There's a free plug for six plus. Yeah. So saved me a lot of time getting these dinners set up. Earlier, I think you were going to tell us about mobile home parks as opposed to self-storage and some of that, why you like them. Thought maybe at the same time, if I was looking to invest in mobile home parks, but you know, Jefferson, I don't know anything about mobile home parks. I really feel good with multifamily. Like that's where I'm comfortable. Not really sure about mobile home parks. How do you answer that? How do you pitch that to an investor or even at a meeting like that or even individually? What does that conversation look like? Yeah. So most of the folks, of course, that show up at my dinner or sending me emails or have heard my podcast already are a warm lead. They already are open to learning more, at least. That certainly may not be a committed investor yet, but they're at least intrigued. And so our website and my podcast and my emails all talk about why this is a good business. As I alluded earlier, we have relatively low repair and maintenance budgets. We don't have to repair those proverbial leaky toilets and leaky roofs. Another thing that makes this particularly compelling is that it is effectively illegal to build more mobile home parks. Pretty much every city and county over the last probably been 30 years now, 40 years, has either literally changed the zoning, so it is illegal to build more mobile home parks, or they change things like the density, and you'd have to have very, very low density. Obviously, you'd have to buy up a lot of land per mobile home to develop a new mobile home park, which just makes it not efficient. Sorry, not not affordable. Anyway, I won't go too far down this path, but let's just say a lot of local governments talk out of both sides of their mouth. They say, sure, we love affordable housing, just not in my backyard. But anyway, because it's illegal to build more mobile home parks, you've got a fixed supply curve. And that's another thing that makes this particularly compelling. If you're investing in single family houses or self-storage or apartments or hotels or what have you, pretty much at least when the economy's good and the banks are lending, you'll have more and more and more competition. There will be new uh, single-family houses and self-storage facilities and apartment buildings being developed all around you. That does not happen only in this niche. There's just no risk of overbuilding. So it's just a very stable business. I guess this is one case where uh, government interference (laughs) helps you because, again, you're not a monopolist when you own a mobile home park, but you're an oligopolist. There'll just never be any more competition in your market. So yet another thing I mentioned to my investors when they show up at my dinners or cold call me or send me an email. What's been the hardest part of syndicating mobile home parks? Getting started for folks out there that are considering syndicating whatever kind of real estate you're doing it gets easier, at least assuming you have decent returns. Our first deal almost fell apart because we had one large investor who backed out on us. But we still got the deal done. It was still oversubscribed, but we just had to make more phone calls and send more emails. But we got started with some folks that basically had seen some of my postings online. And for that reason, felt some familiarity with me and felt I knew enough to invest their money in in a mobile home park. That deal went well. We did another deal. We did a third deal. We syndicated three. And then we moved after about six months, we moved to the fund model, which again, gives our investors the same investment, but now with some diversification across multiple investments, heaven forbid if something goes wrong. So far anyway, have never had to do a capital call the way we might if it was a more limited number of investors and just one asset. So we moved to the fund model about four years ago and just done larger and and larger funds. Nice. And so what's been a way that you've recently improved your syndication business that we could all apply to ours? We are just beginning now to do some, some Google keyword advertising. 
And so we expect that will pay good dividends. We're reworking the website to be a little more SEO friendly. So I'd say basically just find somebody who's expert in Google AdWords. We'll probably also start next month on LinkedIn and Facebook. So find folks that that are expert across those three platforms. It may not be the same person that really knows all three, but find somebody expert, I'd say, in each of those three. Advertise, measure it, and see what works for you. And I wanted to ask you, you know, how beneficial has it been to have the group in LinkedIn like you've created? Yeah, also very good. It's all kind of related. Our podcast feeds into that LinkedIn group. We cross-promote, and they have the same name, Mobile Home Park Investors. That's both the name of our podcast and the LinkedIn group. And our website is mobilehomeparkinvestors.com. So they feed into one another, and that gives me an audience and a way to advertise and say, hey, I've launched my new fund. Or post in there also with questions. Has anybody done any deals yet in Montana? And that way I just hear back from people and happy to share my learnings with them. They share theirs with me. So for our niche, it's been great to run that large LinkedIn group. What's been the best or your best advice for caring for investors through operating this fund and doing this and raising large amounts of capital? What, you know, or maybe one way you go above and beyond other operators to care for your investors? I think it's mostly our general education has been really strong, just helping folks understand what they're getting into, why this is a good niche, why they might want to consider it instead of apartment building, investing, self-storage, what have you. Nice. And what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success, Jefferson? Increasingly, I'd say it's outsourcing, whether those are direct employees or finding virtual assistants to help me market myself or market my individual properties to prospective new tenants or accounting we've now outsourced with the new partnership. Frankly, trying to make myself as close to irrelevant as possible. <laughs> oh, I love it. I want to have no role at my company. I want other people that are better at different things than I am. I want them doing the accounting and doing the marketing and doing the deal sourcing. And we're not quite there yet, but just been quite a change from 12 years ago when I still had a day job. As an employee, my worldview was to try and make myself irreplaceable. And now as an entrepreneur, it probably doesn't matter whether it's this niche or real estate or other things, to grow a business as, as the CEO, you've got to, again, hire other people so you can work on your business, not in it. I know that sounds trite, but it is absolutely true. Just are, work are you, to make yourself irrelevant and have other people work in the business. Yeah. Are you mostly using virtual assistants? And if so, like what platform are you finding yours through? So I've got a mix of employees and independent contractors and then true virtual assistants. And most of the virtual assistants we've found off what's now Upwork. Okay. Uh, I think that's the former Elance and Odesk that merged. So we got a lot of folks off Upwork. We have hired some folks to do graphic design off, I think, Fiverr.com, mm-hmm. but probably more Upwork than any other single uh, virtual assistant platform. Unfortunately, we're about out of time, but how do you like to give back? That's really the podcast and some of the content on our site. There were a number of people that helped me get into this business a dozen years ago that were other park owners. They gave selflessly of their time. (laughs) Thank you, Greg. Thank you, David. So I can't pay them back, but I can pay it forward like through our podcast. Wow. Jefferson, you've been a great guest. I don't have many mobile home park operators on the show, so I really appreciate your time. It's a great niche. We'd love to learn more about syndicating those deals as well. And But tell the listeners how they can learn more about you and get in touch with you. Yeah, so the main website is parkavenuepartners.com. 
We are raising the fund. We anticipate generating low to mid-teens IRR returns for our investors. No guarantees. Read the prospectus. <laughs> but parkavenuepartners.com and then all of our social media, the group, the podcast is mobilehomeparkinvestors.com. So connect with us there, connect with me on LinkedIn and see both of those websites. Great. Thank you so much again, Jefferson. I appreciate the listeners being with us today and every day. I hope you'll also go to LifeBridge Capital and connect with me and the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook. So check it out so we can all learn from experts like Jefferson and grow our businesses together. We'll talk to each of you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.